0: Good morning, Bethany. We are going to be, oh, that came alive. Um, We're going to be in John 11 this morning, verses 17 through 44. So I'll give you a moment to get that. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. In his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God. Before we even
1: begin, just a special um, encouragement to some of our youth today. We've got scattered around the sanctuary, and I want to encourage you guys. This is a moment in your life especially those of you who are close to Matthew, that you might look back on someday like kind of a fork in the road. When trials and pain and suffering and unexpected things come into our life, we really have some choices to make. On the one hand, there are lots of questions. There are lots of things that will go unanswered this side of heaven. But there will be a choice for some of you to think, where is God in all of this? And there will be an opportunity for even the enemy to come towards you and seek to use this trial to harden your heart towards God. That is one path of that fork in the road. The other one, I would say is even harder, but bears more fruit. But it's harder because it takes some kind of humility in your heart. And you know what that humility is? it's to have to sit in a place and say, you know what, I don't have the answer. And I don't think I should know or or claim that I would know the way life should go. And that there might be a God bigger than me that has plans that I can't know, can't see, that I might not ever understand till I get to heaven. That's the way that's harder because that takes humility in this moment for you, for all of us. But that is the way that will lead you and draw you deeper into Jesus as we talk about his suffering today. That is my prayer that I know David has had for our youth. That is my prayer for all of us because this is one trial of many in life in a sinful, broken world. That's my hope for you today. You have a critical, crucial moment, a fork in the road in your life today. And it's one of many you'll come to. My prayer is that you will choose the path of sitting in the uncomfortable, not having the answer, but trusting Jesus. Let's look at him today. This morning, we switch gears as you heard the passage reading, and we take a step back from our Genesis series. You know, a pastor never is quite sure when is the right time to switch things up, call an audible, to change course, and kind of choose a different text to preach. And of course, we're not discrediting Genesis 32, which we'll get to next week. Um, but certain texts of Scripture lend themselves to and are applied more naturally to the ups and downs of life. This morning, I just felt we needed the room to grieve and come to Jesus, as the One who grieves with us and in us and uh, in, in all of life's trials with us. Do you know what's really interesting about the gospel presentations or representations of Jesus? Not once—it's really strange. Not once are we told about him smiling. Not once are we told that he laughed, although I'm certain he did. I'm certain he did. We're told he was glad in one place. We're told he's full of joy and that he would pass that joy on to his disciples. We're told all of those things. I don't think it doesn't mean that he didn't laugh, wasn't jovial, didn't smile, but I think it's because the Gospels had an intent purpose. And do you know what the one emotional trait the Gospels seem to emphasize most in Jesus Christ? Compassion. Compassion. Why? I think because more than anyone else, he lived, he lived, he, more than anyone, he was acquainted with sorrow and grief, as Isaiah describes him. Someone acquainted with sorrow and grief. He has compassion because he's able to sympathize with us. As the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4, Since then we have a great high priest. Because this, who has passed through the heavens, means come to earth, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, have compassion with our weaknesses, But one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the other fork, youth. Draw near in times of grace. Our temptation is to flee, to run, whether it's in pride or shame or for lack of not wanting to have to deal with the issue in front of us, whatever it is. The Hebrews writer says, draw near to God in those times. Jesus is able to sympathize with you better as your great high priest, better than any fellow sinner sitting next to you right now. Why is that? Because he has suffered much and yet is without sin. Sinners are self-focused. Sinners are self-preserving. Sinners are self Centered. Jesus is none of those things and has suffered greatly. So, in your trials, in your temptations, in your sufferings, there's no one better to have with you because he's always looking outward in compassion. He's not a sinner. He's always thinking of others because he's got a pure, perfect heart. He's always looking outward in compassion to his children. So, let's talk about for a minute Mary and Martha and Lazarus this morning to find our own comfort this morning, to find help in our own time of need on this very trying weekend for our church and for the city of Canby, we're going to look at three truths from this passage. Here's our first one. Jesus draws near to grief. I think each and every one of us know, uh, know that when we are grieving or entering into a season of sorrow or pain, We're tempted to believe that God is drawing away from us, moving away from us. As if in that moment he'd removed his protective shield on our lives and we are there left naked and exposed to the harsh elements of life. That's my temptation. Like he's taken us left and just dumped this big mess upon us in the midst of a trial. Kind of funny story. It's okay to have a little levity on hard m- mornings. I was driving past Waite Park last week, and I just happened to catch this family that was there in the park with their dog. And the mother was holding the, the leash, and she had two children there with her teenage children, and the dog had just done his business, you know what I mean? And uh, she had been there, and she had sent her teenage son and daughter over to get a doggy bag to clean up the mess. And that's when I drove by. (laughs) I saw the son, he got to the bag first and grabbed it out of the little stand there they have on the pole, I think, at at Waite Park. And he grabbed the bag and he did, he quickly handed it to his sister. (laughs) As if to say, you deal with the mess. (laughs) You deal with it. And this is all in the brief moment of driving by in about 10 seconds I saw this. So the sister runs over, looks at the bag in her hand, kind of looks at it and Runs over to the mother. What do you think she did? (laughs) Handed it to her. Like, you deal with the big mess. The mother looked at her daughter, and I kind of caught the glimpse, like, last second before I pulled away. Absolutely incredulous. as she took the bag to pick up the mess. I think sometimes in our trials of life, that's kind of how we look at them. As if God is kind of just like passing it off to us. Passing the mess off to us. Handing us a doggy bag, right? You deal with the mess. Maybe even sometimes we feel like we made the mess. Maybe we did make the mess. Like that's the time when he's the furthest from us and we're facing our biggest suffering, our biggest mess. You deal with it. You deal with it. You take the bag. I'm not doing it. That's not the case. That is just not the case. Jesus draws near. Do you see it in the story? That's actually up in verse 3, up higher than we had Pam even read to us. The sisters send a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Wow, they trusted him. They wanted him there. They sent a message out. And Jesus responds, look at verse 4 with me of chapter 3. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then did you catch in verse 5 and 6? Did you see that there? Look how strange this is. So when he heard he was ill, what did he do? He stayed longer? Take a look at verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was? That doesn't sound like love, does it? That doesn't sound like God is, is loving in that moment or Jesus is loving in that moment. It, the one you love is ill, and the writer puts here, He loved him, and so He stayed two days longer. He stayed longer because He loved Him when He knew His friend was sick and ill and was about to die? doesn't make sense. Sounds actually like neglect, doesn't it? Like he is staying away. Like Jesus is fleeing from suffering. Like he is further away from Lazarus now than ever in his life. It sounds like Jesus is passing on the doggy bag there. But then look down to verse 14 and 15. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. What is happening here? Jesus loves them enough to let them go through suffering. Because he knew that on the other side of that suffering, when he would draw near, and he does draw near in this story, they would witness something absolutely earth shattering on the other side of it. That's why he didn't go right away. They would see death undone, they would see death defeated. They would see the reality of Jesus' words in verses 25 and 26 on the screen behind me. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, he said to them, to the sisters. You see, Jesus wasn't passing off the mess to them. He's not passing off the mess to you today. He's not passing off the mess of tomorrow that will come to you. He's not doing any of that. He was entering into their mess to show them something they never could have imagined on their own. And that is what he will do with all suffering for the believer. Their suffering had a purpose and he had a plan, but that's the two forks in the road right there. Can we trust when it looks like there couldn't possibly be anything or any good reason for something? Can we trust he has a purpose and a plan? And I believe that if we've got a God big enough and sovereign enough to stop anything that ever happens on this earth, couldn't we also have a God who's big enough that has a plan that I can't figure out? Just because I can't see a reason doesn't mean there can't be one. You might not get it on this side of heaven. Now, on a weekend like this, it's so natural to ask, well, what was the purpose in this? Why did this have to happen? And I want to tell you, it's okay to ask that in any challenge or trial of life. It's okay, and it's actually right to ask that. It's all over the Scripture and the Psalms and, and Lamentations. It's all over the place. But even though we don't have an answer, it can't be because Jesus has left us alone. It can't be because he's passed the doggy uh, bag off to and said, deal with it, because he draws near to suffering. It can't be because he doesn't love us. It can't be because it has no purpose at all. I don't know why, but I know it can't be those things, which are the places we're tempted to go, isn't it? Oh, he's far from us in suffering. He's not here. There's no way. he. How could he be near this? And it can't be because he has no purpose. He who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. There's a big purpose, isn't it? The current pain and grief will make the absence of it someday that much sweeter. Well, not just the absence of it. I love what C.S. Lewis says when he talks about this, this suffering He says, some mortals say of some temporal suffering, that's that's what we go through in the here and now, the temporal, the physical, no future bliss could make up for it, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. He loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so what happens in the story? He begins the journey And we know he loves them because he's going back to Judea. You know what just happened there? They say, we were almost stoned in that town. We're going to go back there now? He's willing to risk his life again to give them a foretaste of eternity. Jesus draws near to your suffering. He hasn't left you holding the doggy bag. Here's the incredible thing. He doesn't just draw near. When he draws near, he doesn't just show up as a stoic, as this man, just he can handle anything. He's just impervious to anything that hits him. He's he's covered in armor, unable to sympathize. No, let me show you. He doesn't just show up and go, let me just show you my power, my glory. Let me be the big man here on campus. Here's the second thing we see. Not only does Jesus draw near suffering, but Jesus suffers with us too. And in fact, this very truth points to the fact that while we don't know, you don't know the why behind a tragedy in your life, any tragedy, the tragedy of losing a 16 year old boy, so much of his life ahead of him. It can't be because he doesn't love us. Look, he's willing to suffer too. Jesus wasn't at their house yet in the story when Martha first met him and and said to him, yeah, he he wouldn't have died if you were here. He wouldn't have died if you were here. He wasn't all the way at the house yet. So she goes back and gets Mary and the story seems to tell us that the entire household seems to run out towards Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse 32. Would you look there, chapter 11, verse 32? Now... When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Kind of thinking, man, you left us with a doggy bag, Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, Oh, see how we loved him. But some of them said, Could he not, who opened the eyes of the blind man, also kept this man from dying? 38, then Jesus was deeply moved again and came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. He's deeply moved, the Bible says, in his spirit, not once. Did you see that there, but twice? Once when he sees them run towards him and, and Mary just falls down at his feet in grief, he's deeply moved. And a second time when he goes to Lazarus's tomb and sees the, the, the temporary victory of death, and the death's temporary sting there, this deep distress that the Bible describes had an underlying meaning of, of deep feeling, strong kind of gut Felt almost visceral emotion, a profound sorrow at both the mourner's plight and the victim of death. Both of them get his compassion here. But it's mixed with anger too. We don't really catch it in the English that we have, but it's mixed with an anger too. You know what it is? It's an anger at the evil of death, that death is an enemy. That death is never to be just open arm, arm embraced by us as Christians. We've often said at Bethany Church, it's not natural. That's kind of the way the world embraces it. Death is na- it's just a natural part of life. No, 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 no. It's a common part of life, but it's not natural. It was never supposed to be that way. Jesus grieves. It's mixed with that anger too. The evil of death, the final enemy defeat, be defeated. So how does he respond? And everybody knows this because it's a trivia question. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? What is it? Yes, there you go. You got some scripture memorized for today. <laughs> Don't forget it. And I mean that. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Jesus suffered in a multitude of ways on earth. In his earthly life. He didn't just draw near to suffering or or have this vicarious suffering. He did that too. We see him here. He wept. He suffered. But he also suffered in multiple real ways in his earthly life. Have you lost loved ones? So many of you have. Jesus lost so many. And now he watches now as his bride is persecuted and martyred all over the world. He had been betrayed by a dear friend. Jesus was betrayed by many friends over and over again. Have you reached the age where your body can just no longer stay warm? You feel cold all the time. Guess what Jesus knew? He knew what cold meant. He lived in a body. Have you lost a house through embarrassing circumstances in life, and you just can't get over that, a foreclosure, guess what? Jesus didn't have a home either, even a bed. He told his disciples that the Son of Man will have no place to lay his head. You ever been hungry, desired something so much? I don't know if I ever have. I don't think any of us probably in this room ever really been hungry. Jesus knew hunger like none of us have probably ever even experienced. Have you ever had this deep internal anguish or sadness? Maybe that's you this morning and you just can't find a way through it or see one through it. Jesus wrestled with God in the garden before his crucifixion to the point of shedding blood. I don't think any of us have done that. Have you ever been scared not knowing where to turn? He felt that way in the garden too. He was deeply troubled in that garden and even in his humanity sought a way out of it. Remember, Jesus wept. He wept. So we can too. Clearly, if that's the case, that Jesus, the Son of God, would cry in sorrow, it can't be a sign of a lack of faith, right? Sometimes as Christians, we have that stoicism like we just, I'm doing good. I'm going to keep that stiff upper lip. I'm going to walk in there. I'm not going to let anybody see. You know, that would be a sign of weakness, maybe a sign of my lack of faith. No, I mean, Jesus is weeping all the time in the Bible. He's the most manly man that ever lived, and he's the one that's crying the most. How does that work out? So crying can't be a sign of your lack of faith. Or We see our story. Back to it, he knows he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. So he even knows what's about to happen, and he's still weeping. He enters into their sorrow and he weeps with them, for them. This means that heartfelt faith, real faith, gives permission to weep. In all kinds of trials, in all kinds of suffering, in all kinds of of mourning, there is no reward for toughness in heaven, especially as it relates to pain and sorrow in life. Oh, sure, there's a spiritual type of toughness we all want to have, a resiliency in the face of trials and temptations. But in the face of grief and emotion and and sorrow and pain and hurt, there's no brownie points in heaven for keeping a stiff, upper lip. There just isn't. There's no merit badges for dry eyes. In fact, I think Jesus' faith is what allowed him to weep. He knew what was coming, he knew what should have been. He knew about the glorious resurrection, and because of that, he saw clearer the reality of a broken world, the reality of brokenness. It wasn't just natural that Lazarus would die. It's not just natural that Matthew would die. It's unnatural. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And so weeping and mourning is right. Right? I think Jesus, because he knew reality, he could grieve. It's okay to grieve. We have to hear that as Christians. Uh, I, I'm always shocked how quickly at memorial services and funerals I do that, not that we want to be morbidly grieving, but how quickly Christians are to fall back and say, yeah, but he's in a better place. Absolutely true. And we should rest in that. First Thessalonians says, we don't grieve as those who have no hope, but it's okay Death is an enemy. It's okay. Jesus wept. Lament. We need to learn as Christians how to lament better. For ourselves and for those we're asked to walk by in grief. Because while all types of people cry at a funeral, it's only Christians who can lament. Only Christians can actually lament. Lament, what is it? It's a grieving, dealing with suffering while remembering who God is, or even wrestling with who God is. One book I was reading this week said, lament is a prayer of pain that turns to trust. It's a prayer of pain that turns to trust. If you want a great example of that today, go look at Psalm 77. It's a great psalm of lament The psalmist knows the truths about God, yet he asks questions, he asks the why. Why, why, why? It says he cries out. These are things we have to learn to practice as Christians. It says he seeks answers and asks questions in Psalm 77. But then there's that place, the switch, the turn, where lament also is full of trust and wrestling with who God is. Jesus laments because he knows the truth. He suffers while remembering who God is. And I think that's the, the, get what gives us permission to grieve and, and lament. Take a look at this quote. Dark Clouds, Great Mercy, a fantastic book. I think there's a few copies on the counter today if you want them for free. Belief in God's mercy, redemption, and sovereignty create Lament. Without hope in God's deliverance and the conviction that he's all-powerful, there'd be no reason to lament when pain invaded our lives. Todd Billings says it's precisely out of trust that God is sovereign that the psalmist repeatedly brings laments and petitions to the Lord. If the psalmist had already decided the verdict that God is indeed unfaithful, they would not continue to offer complaint. See, they know the truth. Therefore, lament is rooted in what we believe. What you believe. It's a prayer loaded with theology. Christians affirm the world is broken, God is powerful, and He will be faithful. Therefore, lament stands in the gap between pain and promise. We stand in the gap. You stand in the gap right now in your life between pain and promise. It's the reality of living in a fallen world. That's why death stings in the here and now. That's why we grieve. That's why we lament. That is how Jesus enters our suffering because he knows reality. He knows the truth. But he doesn't just relate. He actually suffered much himself. Which leads to our final point today. Jesus suffers without us and for us. Jesus suffers without us and for us. You might be tempted to think, okay, Jesus suffers, but he, he didn't go through what I'm going through. He can't understand my particular situation. And you're right, Jesus didn't, didn't have all kinds of suffering. He never suffered the um, anguish of childbirth, right? <laughs> he couldn't. He's a, a male in a male body. So maybe you're tempted to think that. He can't. Deep down, we think, well, I I don't know. I don't know if he knows exactly. Okay, I get the writer of Hebrews says he can sympathize with us in all our weakness, but really? But there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect that Jesus can suffer suffer with us. Do you know why? Because he suffered in ways that you and I could never understand. He suffered without us, too. That's what I mean by that, without us. By God's grace, Jesus has experienced something that a Christian will never experience Something you'll never have to go through, suffered without us. And because of this, thinking back to our Hebrews passage, he can sympathize with you in all things. You will never meet another person in heaven who has experienced this, what Jesus did without us. You will never meet another person in heaven. You can spend all your eternity in heaven looking for someone who's experienced this, and you won't find them. So what was the experience that he experienced that no Christian ever will? He will be the only person in heaven who knows what it's like to have God turn his back on him. The only one. The only one in all of heaven who will be able to say, I experienced that. It means that he took on for you something you couldn't bear. He took on for you the scalding pouring out of God's punishment, God's wrath for you. And if you trust Christ, that means you will be amongst those in heaven who say, I don't know what that experience is like. He did that without us. He suffered without us for that. You'll know that. Actually, you won't know that. We'll all have that common experience. We won't know what that was like because he suffered without us. Yes, he suffered with us, but he also suffers without us too. One commentator I read this week said the question's not whether he can sympathize with you and everything, really. The question is, can you sympathize with him and everything? And you know what the answer is? No, you can't because he suffered without us too. We will spend, I believe, all eternity looking into what it means that Jesus suffered without us and for us. To bring us into this family. To gather the people back that were lost in Genesis 3. And through eternity, what that means is going to happen is the cross and the love of Jesus and your love for him And sympathizing and identifying with him will grow and grow and grow and grow for all eternity. We will go deeper and deeper into his love and and fellowship and his compassion for all eternity. Suffered without us. Finally, he suffered for us. Start with verse 41 with me in chapter 11. So they took away the stone. They're at the tomb now. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said out loud, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. There it is. That, that, he, that he, uh, They may believe that you sent me. When he said this, verse 43... These things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out and his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He does this thing so that they will believe that God sent him. That God sent Him, why? To suffer for you. That's why he was sent. He didn't just raise Lazarus so that people would see his power. It wasn't less than that, but it was to point to the path of death and resurrection that we Christians all will take, every one of us, because Jesus came to walk it first I'm doing this so they'll believe that you sent me. He didn't just come to meet this family and give them what they wanted in the temporal. He did that. He gave them the resurrection of Lazarus here. He didn't come, though, just to do that it was like as some bystander who would, from time to time, intervene and, and give some people what they want, but not for others. Oh, I'll give it here, I'll not give it there. I'll give it here, and I'll not give it there. No, he came to enter into this world of sin and suffering and suffer for us. If you take anything away from this today, take this. Jesus suffered a punishment for you that would ultimately destroy you if he hadn't done it. I know that's heavy. But he had to pay your debt. We, that's how we live in the everyday world, don't we? If we have a debt, we realize it's the right thing to pay it back. And we know God is a loving God. So would it be loving to just look at the sin of the world? Why couldn't he just look at it and go, "You know what? Let's just call it even, everybody. Let's just call it even. We'll just say it, now I'll never happen." Like, you know, tussle us on the hair, give us a kick in the pants and like send us on our way. Yeah, don't worry about it." That's not loving. Would a loving God look at the death of a young man and not make a way to undo that someday? Or make a way to undo all the pain you've ever experienced and actually turn it into our good? That's the cross. That's the cross. He had to make a way, be just, and the justifier. He couldn't become unjust and say, ah, don't worry about it. But he also wanted to make a way. So he justifies, he pays the debt at the cross. He's got to do both. One Christian put it this way. In Jesus' suffering for you, your debt was not canceled, it was liquidated. (laughs) It was liquidated. So when you're standing now, whenever that day will be in the greatest suffering of your life, whatever that may be, and whenever that will come, Jesus is there with you. And that suffering, as hard as it is to believe, will someday be seen as nothing compared to what Jesus saved you from. And there'll be a day when all of those who trust Jesus, Matthew included, will hear him cry out in a loud voice Come out. Come out. It's time to come out. Time to play, right? <laughs> time to get out. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you, you and you and you, do our youth, do you believe this? Our youth, do you believe this? I'm pointing the question at you, I know, I'm pointing and looking right at you. But it matters, it matters that much. Do you believe this? You can. The power of his spirit and trusting and turning to him in repentance and faith, you can. And I know some of you do. Same for our adults. Do you believe this? We stand in the gap right now, don't we? Between pain and promise right now. But I hope you heard today, Jesus hasn't left you with the doggy bag, (laughs) with the mess he draws near to suffering. He suffers with us. And he suffered without us and for us. So someday, all of our suffering will be undone. Pray with me, please. Jesus, be near to us today. Be near to the Doer family today and our community and our kids here in the service. Be near at Canby High School this week. Be near at uh, Country Christian, I think it is, where Matthew went. Be near in all of our lives, Lord. The reality of your living life as our great high priest in your body that you still have was that you knew true suffering. So let us know that you do draw near, you do suffer with, and without, and for us. It's in Christ's name, amen.